This episode is brought to you by Allstate. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings vary and are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. Welcome to the Go Big Redcast, the Husker Fan Sports Show with Dave, Honky, Mac, and Boomer. Welcome to the Go Big Redcast. I am your host, David Gaspers, with, here with Honky. Hey, I'm just trying to keep my composure over the shock of losing a 2019 recruit. And I'm also with Boomer. Just sitting here looking forward to our 99th anniversary game between uh, the Nebraska Cornhuskers and the Omaha, our Fort Omaha Balloon School. Ooh, I, I was unaware of that, that anniversary. It is. It's a, it a big victory wow. for us in 1918. I am counting my lucky stars that it'll be at least two more years before I have to watch a Husker baseball game on the Penn State website. and Ooh, That was brutal. It was brutal. Um, but I'm glad they had it because I was able to watch a conference championship, which was pretty cool. I, hey, let's start uh, this thing off with some baseball with Around the Van Horn. Around the Van Horn. What do you think, guys? Conference champions. Uh, first time since 2005 any of the big three men's sports at Nebraska can say such a statement, uh, and that was, in fact, baseball in 2005, which was our last College World Series team. Uh, Erstad's crew got it done over the weekend, taking two of three from Penn State and uh, bringing home that championship with a little help um, from our friends in West Lafayette. Uh, 21 you to, watch? to 3. 21 to 3. That is a, that's a football score there. We'll take that in November, guys. Nice <laughs> yeah. work, Erstad and company. <laughs> Yeah, Biakos three four defense sure sure did a number on the Nittany Lions <laughs> on Saturday. Good lord! Uh, no, but it was good. I've kind of almost forgotten what a what a conference championship felt like here in major sports. And although they did try to make it dramatic by losing that uh, first game, Dave, uh, what were your thoughts on that? Yeah, well, I mean, baseball's a crazy sport, and um, that that can happen to you. Um, you know, they're. They're down early in that game, uh, play well in the middle innings. Uh, uh, had a couple of uncharacteristic errors at the beginning. That's how I think they got down. And then uh, took a 7-4 lead. I think there was like five outs left from a, a victory. Um, brought Chad Lindsman in. Uh, had a little bit of a uh, struggle there in the eighth, but he got out. And uh, in the ninth inning, 7-5. And... He just did not have his stuff. Um, he's had a couple outings this year like that where he just does not look as as dominant as he did as our, our closer last year when he was all Big Ten freshman. Um, and the, uh, apparently uh, Luis Alvarado, who is, uh, ha- has seemed to have better stuff um, with his fastball and is kind of really our, our, our true closer at this point, uh, wasn't available. And so Erstad and, and Ted Silva just stuck with Linsman and – uh, we had an amazing play at the plate, which which got our first out in the ninth and uh, kept us uh, with the one-run lead. But then ultimately, um, with two outs, um, Ben Miller couldn't handle a, a liner. Um, they tied it up, and then a, a go-ahead double. By that point, it just felt like everything was sapped out of, the, out of those guys. It was really disappointing to see them uh, blow that. And that has the first time it's happened all year, really, with a late-inning uh, collapse like that. But you know, you called it last week, Dave, with the uh, with uh, the team winning the the season uh, title, well, thank you. and and basically, I, I mean, well, I mean, Minnesota, you didn't think they'd go five and zero, and they end up going three and two, thankfully, giving us the extra the extra loss, the the extra security there. But even Michigan losing the game, everything really fell in line, and and again, when it came down and all the pressure, I know it's Penn State, but there was pressure on that team on that Husker team on Saturday and for them to, to perform the way they did in that situation. I mean, that, that showed a lot from them. And I mean, there's there, congratulations to those guys. And also as a, as a Husker fan and, and think of how many times here over the last few years, we've heard about it with the guys teams. It's like, ah, we should just kind of, 
give up the men's sports for a while. You know, the women's teams <laughs> are doing so well with volleyball and basketball was doing so well on the women's side before that dumpster fire happened. But, but uh, <laughs> this is this is hopefully. Let's say this is the start of of, of hopefully some more titles here coming to the men's teams. And, well, let's uh, talk about that a little bit from a baseball perspective before we dive into um, you know the, the Big Ten tourney and whatnot. Uh, this is year six, I think, of, of the Big Big Ten for baseball, and and all those under Erstad. And I think most people thought when uh, we joined the Big Ten that we would, even in our our uh, a lowered state of of competition that we were experiencing the in the Big Twelve, where we weren't making the 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 Big Twelve tournament even under Anderson in the last few years, we thought we'd come in and and pretty much dominate the Big Ten right away. That wasn't the case, um, although uh, Erstad's crew's been competitive almost every year, uh, could not actually get a, get a title. What does this mean to, to Erstad and that program to finally get over the hump? Well, I think it answers a lot of questions that we, you know, did have about our coaching staff, whether, you know, it's just Erstad, he's probably the guy I think we expected more out of, really, than anyone else we've had lately. You know, we bring in that big name, major league player, Sure. Had a program which which had success in the past, and I think, like you'd said, we expected that to continue, especially in a conference which we presumed was going to be way easier than the Big 12 ever would have been. And I think, yeah, you might have been getting to the point where there were going to start being some questions raised if he didn't bring home this a conference title here sooner than later, because it is the Big Ten. Yeah, we should have I been a better team than we were. I mean, they, their reputation for baseball was questionable, and if we can't get it done here, then, well... Well, you know, we've had questions about, like, in football, Pelini was a guy that, you know, did he have the head coaching experience to step in and, and take over the realm, sir? When you look at Oh, what, the answer to that is no. What? <laughs> <laughs> but when you look at, at the experience level that Erstad had on day one, I mean, he was basically a volunteer coach here for one year under Anderson and then all of a sudden assumes the head coaching position. The success that he's had, especially now this year, but even the last few years, he doesn't get the credit for finishing second as many times as he did in the conference i mean he's yeah we've been very consistently on top we just the depth of the conference has allowed enough other teams in a good way to be to finish number one in different seasons the conference mm-hmm. as a whole is improving but what's also kind of interesting is you have a, a an issue right now with the other sports the the ba- basketball and football where the question becomes usually hey we need to pay the the biggest amount of money for whoever the head coach is that's what nebraska needs to do to win titles and, you know, Erstad, this is a guy he could be making more if he wanted to, but this is a guy that he's not making the, the million dollars. He's not making the, the most by, by baseball standards. And sure. it's just kind of an interesting argument there. I, I've never felt that Nebraska needs to pay the most to be the best. We just need to play good, good baseball, good basketball, good football, and that's irregardless of how much you pay the coach. No, it's, it's true. You know, I mean, Erstad, uh, if you look at, the, look at it from that perspective of – Essentially, it was on-the-job training. Um, he's actually been pretty successful in that sense, right? Um, mm-hmm. Van Horn, uh, anyone else uh, who who's, who's, would take on a D1 program like this would have had uh, previous head coaching experience. Um, so, uh, you know, he's probably had a longer leash almost, uh, at least from an expectation standpoint. You know, keep in mind that Nebraska still draws and you know top five or six attendance in the country um so those fans deserve uh some good baseball to watch uh but he has a good staff i mean ted silva uh you know has come from the west coast and you know he had will bolt now uh, when he started this uh thing and, and will was a heck of a hitting coach and now he's down at a&m and with Childress and Childress actually I was just talking to a Husker fan earlier today remind me that um, the other assistant coach at A&M is Justin Seeley who's also a Husker oh, wow. uh, on those World Series teams and so you know Childress has two ex-Huskers both of them really good recruiters mind you um, down there helping him out um, and so you know if Erstad didn't um, really start to produce here at some point and you know earlier in this se- season there are some fans grumbling oh well, here we go again um, you know someone would start um, throwing those names out there at some point uh, Will Bolt is definitely a fan favorite so um, I think he did need to, to win something um, mm-hmm. whether it was the regular season or, or uh, the conference tournament and he, he got it done so it's, I think it's great for these seniors and and uh, the guys in the, have been in the program for a long time, and, and they they earned it because they won seven out of eight Big Ten Conference Series. That's what a, a champion should do. 
Um, and ultimately, as, as Honk, you pointed out, uh, after losing it on Thursday night, they came back, won a, a good game on, on Friday, and then just dominated on Saturday. So, um, yeah, yeah, awesome well, for them. And part of the strategy, I think, of this this program right now, and I think it's really had an effect on the Big Ten, has been on the scheduling side of things. It's It's been tough to start the season the way this team has the last few years, but that is partially because you're playing Oregon States and Arizonas and and all those teams up front, and you're taking a little bit of a beating, but at the same time you're getting hopefully better. You're winning a couple of games along the way that eventually help your RPI out, and, and you're, you're in a position right now. This conference, there are several teams that have taken that same approach. Michigan's played Oklahoma. Obviously, Indiana's played Louisville. And you're sitting right now with teams like Indiana, Maryland, and, and Michigan all right now at 28, 29, 32, I think, in the RPI, and Nebraska's coming in at 42. But that's really good as a conference. And then meanwhile, you have a program like Iowa that, you know, it's just fun to pick on the Hawkeyes anyways, but they haven't taken that approach. They played, no. you know, basically yeah. Omaha Balloon School and, and, and those teams <laughs> in, in the non-conference, and here they are, their RPI's killing them. And Yeah, so no, they, it's true. Yeah, no, I think, uh, you know, Erstad definitely uh, challenges his his uh, squad from the get-go, and that does help our RPI out, and there's other programs that are doing the same. A school like Indiana, uh, that was a great point, Hockey, because they're, they're able to schedule a team like uh, Louisville, who they played last Wednesday in a, or Tuesday in a midweek game, uh, which was number two RPI in the country at the time, and, and gets that win, which raised everybody's RPI in mm-hmm. the conference, which is awesome. They also play Kentucky um, midweek games. Um, Nebraska has Creighton. They do play Omaha midweek. We get the K-State uh, every year, usually two or three games. I- I'd love to see uh, a couple other local um, programs that we could easily play midweek, like mm-hmm. Wichita State, maybe get back on the schedule. And Wichita State's actually going to be switching conferences. It's going to affect basketball, but also baseball. That could actually start elevating their play again. It'd be nice to have a couple of those uh, close-by um, programs, even Missouri, um, you know, who's down in the SEC. It'd be good to have a few of those guys in the midweek um, to kind of leverage uh, the early um, three weeks that we go out and uh, really test ourselves. Yeah, to begin the year. and we've so been playing. I think that's we've that's been a really playing good point. some uh, Kansas State. I think you know, off and on over the last couple of years, it'd be nice to start playing Kansas too. Start to scout them for when they become Big Ten members. Yeah. So it's good to get a little bit of preparation on that. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> Lawrence would fit right in as a beautiful yes, college town in the Big Ten. Hey, Dave, I think we have a Twitter poll, though, so, for this week yeah. that uh, that just came out. It's about the baseball team. That's right. Really? Well, we want to know from you, uh, Redcast fans, who or how far is Nebraska going to make it this year in the postseason? Are they just going to make the regionals and lose? Are they going to win the regionals? Are they going to make it to the Supers and lose? Or are we going to make it all the way to Omaha? Let us know on Twitter. There, I'm the social media director, so that's my... What is our uh, Twitter handle again there, What's uh, that? Matt? What is our Twitter handle again, for those who don't know? I think we're at GoBigRedCast, I hope. <laughs> I have, That's a lousy answer from the social media <laughs> director. But. That's our social well media, our social media uh, director right there. Well done. Director, yeah. I think that's well right. Done. At well GoBigRedCast. Uh, well, let's... Well, let's let's talk a little bit about uh, the Nebraska postseason uh, hopes. So the, the Big Ten Conference Tournament starts on Wednesday. It is a pretty straightforward conference tournament compared to others. Uh, it's uh, only the top eight teams make it. Um, that's actually a, an expansion from a few years ago when only the top six made it. And it's double elimination, um, two 14 pods. Uh, I think there's actually might be some crossover there with the losses. And then ultimately the uh, championship game on Sunday is um, a winner-take-all. Uh, so, and so... Uh, Nebraska has uh, the one seed, uh, but that doesn't make things a lot easier because the eight seed is the team that helped us out over the weekend, the Purdue Boilermakers, who knocked off Minnesota two out of three and is a a pretty hot team right now. RPI uh, in the low 100s, but has been improving all year long. Young team that's uh, really playing better, and um, that's going to be a a tough one. And if we uh, can get past uh, Purdue, we have Maryland or Iowa. Um, Maryland, obviously, one of the more talented teams that have been struggling. And Iowa, um, <laughs> the team that did actually beat us in a series. So um, that's our first two games up. Uh, guys, thoughts on, on on what the Huskers need to do here? You know, it's kind of funny. Uh, I'll just um, say this really quick because we haven't really mentioned a lot of the, the players. 
the 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 Husker lineup pretty productive, but not huge offensive numbers. We don't hit a lot of home runs. Um, don't have a huge amount of RBIs uh, from our, our you know um, Scott Schreiber or Ben Miller. But uh, they're timely with their hits. Uh, they get on base. They make the pitchers work hard. Um, what's a secret to success here to actually uh, run through this tournament? Well, I think uh, what I'd like to see from us is get off to a good start again. We did against Penn State. Granted, we're not going to score, what was that first inning, 12, 13 runs every first inning. But if we can actually score runs early and make things a little easier on our pitching staff so we're not totally dependent on those last-minute clutch hits, we're not totally dependent on you know Lundsman having stellar outings every time he's there, yeah. just make it easier on ourselves. I think it's been our challenge for most of the season. We we have gritty wins. They can you know get those wins when they have to, but it'd be nice to be in the situations where you don't have to bang those out every every game. And that's yeah, what I'd, especially that's what in I'd the like first round of the yeah, tournament. First round tournament. Let's get those, get the wins early, yeah, and make I it think, easier on yourselves. Save that pitching I think that, for when that, you need getting it. Getting off to that start, Boomer's right. The, getting off to a good start here is really important because the, the way that this the bracket even breaks out is you really have the four teams that look to be almost guarantees for the postseason playing four teams that that's aren't. That's true. So even a lower seed like Indiana is playing Minnesota. Well, that you're playing against a team that's fighting for its life, and you you look like you're in pretty good shape to make it. Nebraska's playing Purdue. Purdue showed last weekend what it's you know when its back was against the wall, it played some good baseball and was able to win that series with Minnesota. And and so and the same thing happens with with Michigan and Maryland here, or Michigan and Indy. Yeah, Michigan and Maryland. They're playing against uh, what Northwestern and um, who is the Iowa? Yeah. Iowa. So yeah, you have Iowa and Maryland's playing Iowa. Yeah. You know, we talked just. Side note, we talked about it last week with Ohio State was one of the teams that's won a national title in baseball. It's amazing that they're not a, a top eight program in, in baseball right now here. I mean, that just seems like yeah. that's a school that, you know, is successful about everything it does. Yeah, it's true. It's true. Yeah, I, I think getting off to that hot start, you know, playing like the one seed, acting like it, uh, I think is what we're talking about here, right? And so I think that's what uh, even the committee's looking for to make sure we get a a two seed and honestly the best outcome we can expect um is a two seed um whether we win the conference tournament or not but what we really be hoping for is a, a favorable uh, uh regional to, to land in right i mean you're trying to not be the two seed against oregon state mm-hmm. you know what i'm saying let's let's uh, be a two seed in a um somewhere that is isn't a a powerhouse and isn't a, a, a top eight national seed. I think that would be ideal if we go to Southern Miss or something like that, you know, where I think we can, um, you know, uh, kind of hold our own. I think that'd be a great, uh, great outcome from winning a, a conference championship and a, and so a tournament championship. So at number 42 right now in the RPI, there is n- literally no chance of us getting into a position, you don't think, to be able to host? I mean, I know it would take kind of the, the stars well, to align Erstad, if we went 3-0. and Because that's how many – do you play a minimum of three? It would be 4-0. Four four and and so if we went 4-0 and and we beat – I don't even know how the brackets play out here. But, like, if we beat – Right. The bracket will shake out where we'd probably have a chance to obviously play Maryland and then likely at least either Indiana or Michigan um, – Probably not likely both of them, but you know, I, I, you know how the losers brackets work. But point is, um, even with that, if we go four and zero and look dominant, I mean, I, I mean, if we would have won the Penn State game and we were already in the mid thirties, I guess maybe. But I think Erstad's pretty much also said this isn't going to happen. And I think if our RPI, RPI were in the twenties at this point, I think we'd have a pretty fair shot. But without that, I think it's uh, pretty difficult to see it happening. We are uh, have submitted to host, but I think the odds are in the one percentile. Well, Just, you mentioned last week Arizona um, State. You thought you know historically Arizona State one time was able to host, and they were in the low thirties. I mean that's that. I mean that's yeah. so that's the bar we at least have to hit. Just to even historically be able to to host. Right, right. And if you're looking for examples of that this year, probably the most likely. Uh, host with a lower RPI is Long Beach State, who I think is in the mid-20s mm-hmm. right now. I can look that up right now. Um, and that's, you know, the the West Coast gets some a little extra love there because of... Um, they're actually up to 17th. Oh, yeah, they're probably going to get it. Um, but, I mean, uh, 
I think it was D1 Baseball last week had a whole breakdown of the 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 regional hosts. And last year, I think uh, it was it was 17 was the lowest number RPI. So literally, the committee had awarded almost all the top um, RPI teams uh, a host spot. And so, and and that's usually you know there's a variation there of one or two, but it's usually always in the top 20. Occasionally, you'll see a few 20s in there. And then, uh, like I mentioned, I think Arizona State for some, and I think it was UCLA as well that same year had a, a low 30s RPI. I don't know what was going on with with that, but um, it just it's just hard to imagine them doing that. And you know, I mean, the bottom line is if the Huskers, you know, would have pulled out a win earlier this year versus Oregon State, or um, Arkansas, um, et cetera, got a couple more of those high quality wins, that RPI would at least be in striking distance at this point. And uh, yeah. It's, yeah. it's so Dave, next year. you called right. it a week ago. You you, you called the, the the conference title. What's going to happen this week? Well, I also said last week that the tournament's a crapshoot. Mm-hmm. I'll say it again. Um, it's it's difficult. This is actually a little easier to understand than like the ACC tournament. Baseball tournament is probably the most complicated um, tournaments you'll ever see in your entire life. It's like this matrix thing where they play three games and pods and people float around i, I don't even can't even describe it um this is pretty much you know similar to a um you know a regional or, or even the world's college world series um it it comes down to pitching and if if nebraska can get out of the gate early as you guys described and not only win the game one but game two then you're in the driver's seat because now you're sitting back and waiting um for the loser uh, to come through their bracket. And you have either, either at that point, you can go ahead and pitch Jake Myers, um, or you could even hold him back, start someone like Matt Waldron, and um, see if you can win that game without having to use Jake Myers and save him for a championship game on Sunday. Uh, we all know Jake's really good on Sundays. Um, so there could be some strategy there. So I think if you get out of the gate hot, uh, look like a one seed, and maybe do a little bit of um, strategy there in game three where you can save Jake Myers. Uh, I think the Huskers can do it. And I think this team, um, you know, has the mentality that it needs. Didn't have it last year, um, and I think that still actually bugs them quite a bit. So I think there's a little bit of motivation there. I know it bugs Erstad. This team seems to to take on uh, Erstad's character more than any other team he's had. Uh, they're not the most talented, but they kind of take that same – um, mindset, and so uh, I'll go on a limb and say they win it. What the heck? Go Big Redcast producer Skip here. We hope you've been enjoying the podcast. If you'd like to follow along throughout the year, please subscribe to the show on iTunes. You can also listen and follow on our SoundCloud page. And if you like what you've been hearing, please tell a friend or family member about it who you think would also enjoy this Husker talk. If you have any questions, comments, disagreements, or topics you'd like to see discussed or debated, email us at gobigredcast at gmail.com. And you can also find us on social media and follow along with the crew as they post and crack wise about all things Husker sports on Twitter and Facebook at GoBigRedCast. And now it's Scarlet Colored Glasses. And we're back on the Go Big Redcast, and we are putting on our scarlet-colored glasses, talking all things Husker program, recruits, uh, rivalries, you name it. We're talking it in scarlet-colored glasses. Uh, I'm going to hand it over to Honky because he has uh, something important he wants to share with us. And now, an open letter to Oklahoma President David Boren. Please, please join the conference. Not only do I yearn for the yearly competition with the Sooners, I've also grown so tired and immune to the constant search by some Husker fans and media to find the next great rival for this program. Ever since the rivalry with OU ended in 1997, each time a conference team has beat NU and they happen to share a border with the state, like Colorado or K-State, Mizzou, and now Iowa, they instantly become our rival, only to fizzle away. These people don't get it. The rivalry with Oklahoma was something special. and was never about convenience or geography. It was about two great programs who made each other better and had a level of respect for each other that's rare between rivals these days. It's even unique for Oklahoma when compared to Oklahoma State and Texas. We had a discussion a couple of redcasts ago about Stuart Mandel's Kings, Barons, Knights, and Peasants of College Football. In just over an hour, we got through the Kings and Barons. 
None of the aforementioned teams were in those top two tiers, and that includes Iowa. Nebraskans will accept Wisconsin as a rival, if we can hold up the end of our bargain, but they've never accepted those other programs. And yes, we don't accept you, Iowa. If nothing else, please, please, OU President Barron, make the move so once and all we can stop acknowledging Iowa in this discussion altogether. Recently, I was reading a Husker board that posted a question from an Iowa fan. The question was, when was Nebraska last relevant? Simply put, this person doesn't get it. For programs that are kings like Nebraska, it's not about if they're currently relevant. We know football goes in cycles, and great programs go up and down. What's rare is what NU did for 40 straight seasons. But what sets programs like us apart is that it doesn't take much to get relevant again. Was USC relevant before Carroll? Bama before Saban? OU before Stoops? Is Texas and Notre Dame relevant now? No, but it doesn't take more than a couple games in one season, and that can all come back. Look at uh, Penn State last year alone. It took Nebraska and Devaney all of five home games to start a sellout streak in 1962 that lasts to today, and that was after truly 20 terrible seasons for NU. Meanwhile, Iowa can go a perfect 12-0 in 2015 and still only have 18,000 show up for their spring game. By the way, Nebraska had 73,000 that year after going 6-7. and Iowa fans hate to hear about prestige and choose to focus on their 3-3 record against NU. Well, let me actually throw our neighbors slightly least east of Omaha a bone and tell them that they are indeed more prestigious than their Cyhawk in-state rival Iowa State, even though they also happen to be 3-3 three and three against them in the last six years. They're 9-10 against them in the last 19, and Ferenc has a 500 record, 9-9 nine and nine against them. Michigan State is still 7-2 and two against Michigan over the past nine seasons, yet believe me, Wolverine fans would drop the Spartans in a second if they had to choose between them and Ohio State. Reality is, is when we're talking about relevancy, Iowa can go 12-0 and and against a terrible schedule and still not be relevant. Proof of that is 2015 when they went perfect and still struggled to be in the top three by year's end. Iowa is to the Big Ten as TCU and Baylor is to the Big 12. If they win the conference, there's a chance the Big Ten won't make the playoff. So please, President Bourne, join the conference. Join the conference and Iowa will find out in nanoseconds how relevant they are as to NU as they get quickly dropped from their prime Friday after Thanksgiving Day TV slot so NUOU can regain their rightful spot there for the nation to see. Imagine Big Ten Commissioner Delaney, NU Oklahoma on Friday, and Michigan Oklahoma State on Saturday, or Ohio State on Saturday. But don't worry though, Iowa, you can always go back to playing Minnesota for a pig during that last week instead. Well, I'm stunned. And I fully expect uh, David Bourne to not respond to that open letter. Um, but well said, uh, Honky. Uh, well said. Um, Boomer, uh, any initial reactions to, to this? Well, Would you like to maybe play the role of David Bourne or just yourself on this one? Uh, well, it's hard to know what, what David Bourne's thinking. He just kind of says whatever, I think, just to stir the pot. Well, I guess, you know, we'll do some of the same here, just stirring the pots. Do you think Iowa is more of a rival than you're actually letting on? Not to me. I mean, we just had Honky hockey? spend how much time writing a letter trying to acknowledge they're not being a rival. I mean, we don't do that for Indiana, Purdue, Northwestern, anything like that, but you did do it for Iowa. Well, what I'm... That's fair Doesn't to say. that kind of acknowledge the fact that they no, are a rival? What I'm trying to do is actually write an open letter. I really want to send this to the guy. No, I really want Oklahoma to be that rival. It's important <laughs> for Nebraska. It's important to Nebraskans that we have a rival that matches us in that prestige category. The thing that we talked about a couple of red casts ago with, you know, you play teams that are in your tiers, so to speak. We are a king of football, um, and that's not something Iowa is. Relevancy isn't about what you've done in the last now, six seasons. Relevancy is something that's built up over time. Does your rival have to be on the same level uh, you are? I mean, we think about rivals. You think about Oklahoma, Oklahoma State. Well, Mike, there's a, lot, the same level. Granted, there's a lot of different types of rivals. Thing. You have state rivals. You have border rivals. You have historical rivals like, you know, like sure. uh, you know, Kansas and Missouri were rivals based off of things that happened well off the field. Uh, Michigan and Ohio State had, you know, border rivals that were dealt with the, the Battle of Toledo. I will say this. I think the best rivalries are the ones that are teams that are playing for the same types of thing each year. So – when Nebraska and Oklahoma are playing for titles year after year, those are great rivalries. Indiana and Purdue can have a great rivalry too. It's just that they're playing for a bucket. Or, you know, a pig is being played for between Iowa and Minnesota. That's great. Good for them. They can play for pigs. Nebraska is going to be playing the the rival that Nebraska needs to play. And we're always searching for that rival. It needs to be a team 
that's going to challenge us year in and year out for for titles. Because that's what if Nebraska's not playing for titles, who cares about the? And we need to challenge yeah. them. Well, well, I think that's the big point. I mean, you can say, yeah, we need to be challenging them for titles. Well, we're not challenging Iowa and, and Wisconsin for titles sure. right now. I mean, how can we say we're we're holding out for this great rival when we're, we're not, not holding, holding up, up our, our end of it, it right now? In this immediate time frame, but then again, okay. like I said, that can change in a heartbeat. That can change in one season. And the more times than not, if the Big Ten East, if all teams are playing their best football, if they are doing that, it's going to come down to Wisconsin and Nebraska. If they're not playing their best football, then, I mean, hey, that's yeah, the Big, Big Ten, Ten West. West. It's going to come down to Wisconsin and Nebraska. Right. If Oklahoma joined, it would be Wisconsin, Nebraska, and Oklahoma, I would say, would be that, that kind of grouping. More times than not, history would prove it, would prove that to be true. Nebraska needs to so hold up its end of the bargain. Let's just really quickly, uh, side note, uh, Boomer. Um, great rivalries in college football. Um, if you say Nebraska, Oklahoma, uh, Oklahoma, Texas, Michigan State, and well, Michigan, Ohio, Ohio State. State. Uh, sorry, yeah, Michigan, right. Ohio State. Uh, those those are our blue bloods, uh, Kings. USC, Notre that, Dame. Are are rivals you know, USC Notre Dame, um, but there's also the Iron Bowl where Alabama Auburn or um, other examples USC UCLA go down the list where you do have that uneven prestige pairing. Um, mm-hmm. And, and I mean, to hockey's point, there's rivals everywhere, right? You have have peasants have rivalries, but um, the ones that make the news, um, it's. Not always. There's King usually a King. geographic. No, I don't there's think usually it needs a to geographic be. Um, connection between rivalries that have teams that are of different caliber. Okay, or different. Di- so borders well, matter. What I'm saying Oregon about state. borders, Mike, is that we're not even closest to Iowa in their own state. We were closer to Iowa State, and that border no, and that not, team didn't but... seem to. Why wasn't that our rival instead? And every time that we well, why why did Oklahoma it, become it our rival? Our rival because that game meant something every single time that that game was being played. And what's happened since '97, the last time that we played them, is that there has been a forced upon rival about every single team that beats us once or twice, and is our and happens to be, have a border with us. So at first it was Colorado, then Kansas State beats us three out of four times in the early 2000s, and now they're our rival. And then Missouri beats us a couple times, and they're our rival. It doesn't work like that. That's not the thing that's going to move the needle for Nebraska When fans. was the first time that the general public would have perceived Nebraska-Oklahoma as a rivalry game? I would venture to say, I would venture to question. say probably in 93, or 63, uh, the day after uh, JFK was shot, that's the first big uh, eight title that Devaney beats uh wilkinson with um it's a few years after i mean there's other historical things that would have happened what in 59 i think was when we ended their like 75 game winning streak and upset wasn't a great nebraska team it wasn't a a fair pair nebraska had history with oklahoma too if you go back into the mid mid 50s and it wasn't because nebraska was always great nebraska got destroyed i think in 55 by oklahoma because of the rule back then in the orange bowl that they couldn't take the same team twice and Oklahoma wasn't going to be allowed to go back, so they made sure to destroy Nebraska as bad as they could so that uh, they knew who the best team was in the conference, and then Nebraska went on and got beat badly by sure. Duke, so that showed how good we were anyways. But but the, the history, <laughs> I mean, the programs, there's a trajectory that, that happened with Nebraska and Oklahoma that in some ways it's, it's hard to define. It's, it, you just, my point is at the end of the day with rivers, you can't just create them. And just because we happen to be next to your state no, doesn't no, I think it doesn't I make us completely agree with that. It doesn't like there's this unnatural there's this unnatural feeling. Well, I, that I, we're I was just, just trying to get to the point that it was with Iowa, and I, I, they, and they've beaten us even, and it's still like no, that doesn't move the needle in the slightest bit. I don't know if that's true. I mean, you look at all the again, like I said, you spent time writing a letter bashing Iowa. You look at. I mean, you look at social media, how often do we rib Iowa back and forth, whether it's us personally, family, friends, you see people on Facebook doing it all the time. You're seeing it from, I mean, how many articles are you seeing written from sports journalists in Omaha talking about Iowa when we're talking about are we a successful program? Okay, if you could play Iowa, if you could play Iowa or Wisconsin, I would play Wisconsin every time. If I could play Iowa or Oklahoma, I would play Oklahoma every time. If I could play Wisconsin or Oklahoma, I would play Oklahoma. I mean, there is a level. 
And that, that's yeah. no different than, and again, it has nothing to do with winning and losing to a team. Michigan's 2-7 and seven in the last nine games against Michigan State. I get it that teams can, can beat other teams. Iowa State is 10-9 and nine against Iowa in the last 19 times they've played. And I'm the first one. I'm, I'm throwing a bone to Iowa fans here. You are more prestigious than the Cyclones, and yet you've lost more times in the last 19 times you've played them. But that's not the point. It's not about winning or losing a game against a team. It is, does that team move the needle? Does it, it does that team, and I really believe this for Nebraska fans because of the way that the Oklahoma rivalry was set up, it was there to, it made us a better team. And if our goal is to be rivals with Iowa and we shoot for them every year and that's the team we want to beat, that will lower the, the level of our playing because we would be, play, we would be trying to, to, to figure out a way to beat a team that, that we should be beating by default anyways. Wisconsin is a team I think that can challenge us year in and year out and make us better if we up our game to play against them. So, I mean, g- good for Iowa. They've won. You know, Would, some games uh, against speaking of having multiple rivalries, then Hunk, uh, if we uh, had our um, our uh, Boomer Schooner whatever <laughs> uh, podcast uh, down there uh, doing a show like this, uh, and they did a Twitter poll that asked their fans uh, what's what's the more important rivalry, um, Nebraska versus OU or OU versus Texas? How would you think at, that would at play At today's out? level, it would be, in a heartbeat, it would be uh, Oklahoma, Texas. I mean, why wouldn't it be? They're still playing each other. And I think that's an imp- – Yeah, we got yeah, that answer in 97. They chose well, it, what they wanted to do. So. And they chose it in 97 when they should have thought that Nebraska no, was – I mean, I think we rivalry. have to have a historical piece of reference here. When the Big 12 was formed, first off, we didn't have a lot of experience of forming other conferences like this at the time. So there wasn't all this discussion of, well, we should have crossover games to begin with. But Oklahoma was in a terrible position back then because if they had said, okay, well, what we'll do is we'll do one crossover game. We're going to keep the Nebraska-Oklahoma rivalry alive. And Nebraska just happened to be going through a 60-3 and three, uh, you know, five-year span at the time. Why would Oklahoma agree to that? Why would they say, yeah, we're going to guarantee that we have to play A&M in Texas every season and we'll be the one team that also, uh, you know, just kind of, you know, takes one for the team and plays Nebraska every year too. They weren't going to do that. There was geographically that conference was doomed to fail the way it was set up. There's just no other way around it. And people also forget, having said that, on day one of the Big 12, the North was the dominant side. Four of the the Big 12 North teams finished in the top 10 in 1995. None of the the South teams finished in the top 25 that year. But that still, that wasn't sustainable. All the power, all the money, all the the, the population was down south, and then eventually headquarters started getting moved down there and so on. But that's not what killed the Oklahoma rivalry with Nebraska. What killed the Oklahoma rivalry with Nebraska was not playing them every year. That's what kills a rivalry. Texas and A&M, it's... I don't even know what they call themselves. I don't know if they call themselves rivals or not. doesn't really matter. They're not playing. And so, uh, you know, that's what's imp- I hear you. That's what's going to, you know, ultimately be the important thing there. And, and so um, I, my, my letter isn't to bash Iowa. My, my letter is, is to, to try to implore Oklahoma to make that move. They want to make it anyways. So come on. Come to the dark side. Come to the Big Ten, President Bourne. Let me uh, let me ask. Um, so if it's it's not necessarily directed to Iowa fans, it it's more so that than directed to Wisconsin fans. Seems like you're more willing to accept a rivalry with Wisconsin, even though they're not at the same level as us, and they aren't competing for national championships. Uh, but you're, you're you're okay with right? Even if we added Oklahoma in 2025, uh, and they became uh, clearly mm-hmm. our number one rivalry. Yeah, you know, Wisconsin is is okay being a rivalry. Well, we spent over an hour that. on that last Redcast or two Redcasts ago talking about the Kings and the Barons and all that. And Wisconsin at least was a team that came up in that conversation. Iowa didn't, Colorado didn't, Kansas State didn't, Missouri didn't. All these border schools that again, I see no difference in Iowa than I do in any of those other schools. And that's not to that's not to I'm not trying to come off and say you know, that Iowa is a, is a Northwestern in a traditional way, or that Iowa is a Purdue. I'm not trying to say that to, to Iowa fans. And I've, I'm giving you some credit. You're better than Iowa State. Although on the field, I guess, since that's so important to Iowa fans is what we've done on the field recently against them. 
I guess maybe I shouldn't give them that credit against Iowa State, but but I am. You're more prestigious than Iowa State. I don't think anyone's ever said those words in the same sentence before, but I just did. So, but but but, but right. Wisconsin, right. Wisconsin right. does. So, move what makes me. what makes you perceive Wisconsin? What makes you perceive Wisconsin as a more prestigious program than Iowa? I'm just curious. Well, I mean, I think. I mean, I've got some numbers pulled up here. I'm just, I'm just kind of looking at you know sure. our good friends at Winsipedia with their comparison. Uh, you know, you look at their head-to-head matchups. Granted, we said that's not always the end-all, beat-all, but their head-to-head matchups. Iowa's got 43 wins versus Wisconsin's 45, so that's Domination. pretty much straight up even. Iowa claims a national championship from who knows when. Wisconsin has zero. Uh, Iowa has 13 conference championships. Wisconsin has 14, so that's pretty much a wash. Iowa's been to 30 bowl games. Wisconsin 28. Mm. I mean, if you look at the history of these programs, they're basically the same. I mean, there's not a whole lot of difference between them over the span of I, I would of ask their lives. You, so what, why are you perceiving Wisconsin as being more I would more ask you to look at those Iowa? exact same stats and say, what, what have they done over the last 25 seasons? I mean, to really get a good relevant historical yeah. reference there. I mean, it, Wisconsin had a terrible stretch there for a, a good number of couple decades, 70s and 80s. Since Alvarez got there, uh, the amount of Rose Bowls, the amount of wins, the, uh, you know, they've clearly, you know, in the last 10 years, they've been, they've been uh, as consistent, I think, as any team, you know, in the Big Ten period. They've been a very consistent program. And then you throw in the other things that we talked about that were prestigious. And Camp Randall, I, I guess I would just say having been there and having been to Kinnick Field, I would give the nod, and a huge nod, to Wisconsin. Wisconsin plays the LSUs in the non-conference. And Iowa plays Iowa State. And they play North Dakota State. And they play Northern Iowa. That leads to your prestige or lack thereof. Um, you know, sometimes it's a gut feel, and I've got a big gut, and my gut doesn't tell me anything <laughs> that, that says Iowa moves the needle other than they're across the river from us. But, again, you know, if it's just about being a border team, I've seen too many of these border teams, they've and they fizzle away over time. And Iowa just doesn't – they don't move the needle. And it, and it comes back to I'll, – I'll go right back to what Stuart Mandel said with, with those programs. He, he ranked them. I didn't. And I think he ranked Iowa right, and he ranked Wisconsin right. And he ranked Wisconsin above Iowa. Yeah, no, I hear you. I mean, um, I, I think there's a lot of lot of validity to, to that argument. Uh, I, I think it is inter- interesting to, to Boomer's point of um, why we have to point them out. I mean, I don't even talk about – I mean, I, I really don't talk about Iowa that much. I don't have a huge – interest in and even having this type of discussion because i'm like what what's the point right um but i mean it does come up a lot and so uh and you know i I don't live in in omaha or eastern nebraska where there's a lot of iowa fans around so i think that probably um makes a difference and i I think also you know the big 10 uh does take these rivalries a little bit more serious than the big eight i mean maybe that's in the or the big 12 big eight because until K-State finally beat us in the late 90s, um, uh, until Kansas finally beat us, I mean, it was such a long streak between wins for those teams. It was just, it's not even relevant. I don't care yep. if they're a border or not, right? Um, if we would be 6-0 and versus Iowa right now, we wouldn't be having this mm-hmm. conversation either. So um, them beating us does make this um, linger. So either OU needs to show up and we can make the switch, or we need to start beating Iowa on a consistent basis and yeah. this will Nebraska needs to be so. okay so what happens no I was going to say what happens if and when Oklahoma doesn't join the conference since we're not allowed to have nice things in college <laughs> football it seems uh, Nebraska what, I mean do we need a does Nebraska need a rival it seems like we I, I think our identity it seems for so long was tied into mm-hmm. having one with Oklahoma and we haven't had that since 97 we've played you know a few times since then a couple games had some meaning but they didn't feel like the rivalry the way it was. I think we can sure. all admit that. Even in 01, that great game, that didn't feel like the rivalries well, I'll go necessarily. Back, so I'll what go happens if we don't Mike. get one? What I'll, I'll define the rivalry show? as this, because the rivalries come in all different shapes and sizes and geographic and borders and, and, and all that. Um, the one thing that unifies any rivalry is you got to play them every year. So 
it, to your point, if Oklahoma doesn't join the conference, then you're right. It's not a rivalry, even if we're playing them in 2021 and 22. It just it, it's not. So then you have to start to pick between the teams you do play every year. And if I'm looking at the West and the West the way it is, the school that we're going to play every year that that I think Nebraska wants to emulate the most, that we want to shoot for, that we want to that right now is I think the clear leader in the West to begin with. Anyways, it's Wisconsin. And that's who we need to to be able to play and beat, and um, you know that's and, and just and for a number of reasons. By the way, they're the team All that right. scares me the most, just from a style perspective too. I mean, they you look at our quarterback right now, Lee O'Brien, Jebbia, any one of the three, those guys you could pick those guys up and you could put them on a Wisconsin team, and they do they do fine. They would do the same type of uh, you know they they would fit in that style of offense. But the one thing that that team does. That team can run the ball against anybody, and that's where I think you know. If, if ultimately, if we aren't good this season, if there's a downfall to Riley, it would be that that we aren't able to just go and run on, on anybody. And that's what you know. That's what Alvarez has brought to Wisconsin. He's brought it there through multiple coaches. We've talked about that before. That's a school that I want Nebraska to emulate, and uh, I think they can make us better the way that Oklahoma well, made us. I mean, I, I can't believe I'm hearing this, be honest with you. I, I was just going to let this slide, but this is absolutely ridiculous. We're emulating Wisconsin that we, we want to uh, project ourselves. Oh, what the hell is this stuff, Honky? Come on, man. <laughs> what? Seriously? Wisconsin? Hey, he's knocking us down to the Barons well, category, what I wanna, apparently. I know. He's what just I knocking us down to the Barons category. We're emulating a Baron, is, for God's sakes. What I, I want to emulate come is, on, is stop. Is Good. tough nose defense, regardless you of guys getting Wisconsin, injured or not. That's what you want to be. They they've gone through injuries and they're tougher than nails, and they, they beat teams that are more more uh, more talented than them. LSU obviously was going to have more te- I mean, so, more guys go. So get would you rather have Wisconsin as your rival because we play them every year? Or would you rather simply have, let's say, a good five, six-year period where we make the conference championship game every single year and, let's say, Ohio State does the same thing and we have a string of championship games where we play them and it's a pretty pretty even, you know, two or three uh, games in, in either direction? We're Which always going to be second have? fiddle. We we to may Ohio suddenly State. let's be honest here. I, yeah. I mean, no, I don't I'm buy not, that we're second be, fiddle to anybody. I'm not, Nebraska went if Nebraska went on a if if we're talking if we're talking if we're talking rivalry for Ohio State, you're never going to replace Michigan. Oh, I'm not. A, no, I so, I, I, I wasn't know, saying that. Like, I wasn't yeah, saying like that. Like you said, this has to swing both ways when it comes to a rivalry. Both teams have to acknowledge it. I mean, we can sit here and talk how we want Wisconsin to be our rival. I don't know what does the average Wisconsin fan think. Do they think we're a rival with them? Yeah. I have no idea. And we would say, okay, we could maybe have that five, six year stretch playing Ohio State. Maybe they'd be great games. Are we ever going to be their quote unquote rival? I, no, I, I'm not. I mean, that's not going to happen. It's always going to be. This is why we need that's Oklahoma. One in the reason conference, why we obviously. need Oklahoma in the conference, and, and one of the reasons I really would like Oklahoma in the conference is that you know the big Big Ten West. It's amazing. They get crapped on year in and year out for not being good when, you know, that's not always true. There are years that we've had some pretty good football in this division. But it's easy to look at the teams, and especially if Nebraska is not pulling his weight, it's it's easier to look at the teams in that division and say, that's not a good division. You throw Oklahoma into it, and all of a sudden it's amazing how that raises the prestige immediately. So, you know, again, sure. but, but I would absolutely, yeah. to go back on the, the thing about emulating Wisconsin, absolutely I would. Why not? They emulated the best of Nebraska. That's what Alvarez brought to them. And I'm kind of a little bit outspoken the fact that I kind of liked how we used to play football. And Wisconsin seems to be the closest program right now to playing the style of ball that we used to play. So, yeah, I, I guess I want to, I would like to emulate right. that. You can emulate Wisconsin all you want. You're not going to be playing for national ch- titles anytime soon. Well, you know, that's fine. That, hey, we have a different level of talent than Wisconsin does. And I mean that in a, a very good way. I'd love to play the style of ball they play with the type of talent that we can get. That's what I'd like to see Nebraska do. We can get better talent than those those schools. Sure. We're not right. playing right. that style. Hopefully we're getting closer. I think defensively, I, I think the things that we're doing with Diaco, we're going to get closer to playing that style. Offensively, can we turn around and run the football anytime that we want to run the football? That's the question. And is that even important anymore? No, I, I, that is, is that even important? The question, I, you're right. Yeah, I, I would, I would argue that wanting to be year. a top three running offense should be more important with this year's team than even last year's was. But I'm not sure that it is. Yeah, because I think if you're going to expect to protect uh, Tanner Lee, you need the uh, mm-hmm. uh, the run game and that pa- uh, play action off of it. So that's the truth. Hey guys, let's uh, let's start wrapping this thing up. We got a couple of quick hits here. Uh, Honk, you want to talk about our uh, first decommit um, of the 20? 
Well, I, I can't tell you anything class. about them because I don't, I don't put those guys to, to muscle memory or brain memory or anything when they're that far away. So I don't, I don't remember <laughs> names and I don't, I don't care. But we talked about that, and I think it was our second podcast. The second that he, that guy committed, it's like, oh, I would be shocked if he decommitted any time between now and December of twenty thirty five or whenever February. the heck his signing date was. You know, it's like who, honestly, who cares right now? Um, you know, I, I I hope we have a good class in two years. Well, heck, right? Lane you Kiffin know. signing seventh grade. Yeah, so, so. We, we've had our first pledge and and, and D pledge. Uh, that's what you know for people new to the podcast. Uh, we are. We call them pledges until they actually officially sign. Oh, right. I'm sorry. I apologize. And, uh, I, I, I use incorrect <laughs> terminology. But I will say this, just for any any people out there in the Twitter sphere and everything, when somebody does commit or decommit, don't contact the players. That's just stupid. And, you know, we kind of have our own little policy just with we don't try to follow and chat with current and former players. There just seems something kind of creepy about that and – you know, I think there are things that Nebraska fans can do that that are that's outstanding. It's great to know that, you know, at a spring game we're going to have twenty recruits there, and it's great when little kids and 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 people can go up and say, "Hey, you know, Jimmy Joe or whatever your name is, you know, welcome to Nebraska," and that, and that means something to the guy, and he turns around and goes, "Wow, these Nebraska fans are great." That's a that's an awesome way to use the fandom of Nebraska to to support the program. Contacting guys on on Twitter and saying, saying you know, from GBR one seven two five and saying. Hey, you should come to Nebraska. Or, hey, you know, jerk, why'd you why'd you decommit? That not so cool. Try not to do that stuff. Words of wisdom <laughs> from Matt Honk. An open letter from Honky um, to the fans. Speaking of words of of that's right. Um let's uh let's hit this one too. Uh in uh, the barrage of Twitter polls we had uh Honk sent out. Uh obviously we we discussed this last week where Ninety percent of uh, the respond the responses uh, believe NU would go eight and four or better, um, opposed to ESPN and, and the Las Vegas uh, bookmakers. Um, what needs to happen to reach that uh, responses? Tanner Lee equals the hype. Uh, one at fifty six percent. We need a top twenty five defense nationally at twenty eight percent. Go at least five and two at home sixteen percent, and other was zero. I'm thinking actually it's probably all of A, B, and C. Almost. Well, clearly the the five and two at home is important. You know, to get to that mythical eight and four or whatever that number is. You know, nine and three, ten and two, whatever people are expecting. Um, you better be winning some home games along the way. And that home schedule of Northwestern, who has caused us plenty of you know issues at home. The only home victory we've had against them came on a hail mary. Um, and you know Iowa. You know, if we throw the ball 40-plus times in, in two-degree weather, we stand a chance to lose to them again. Uh, obviously, Wisconsin comes here. Ohio State comes here. So, you know, we've got to protect the home turf, and 5-2 and two is pretty important. Top 25 defense nationally, I would argue that that's every bit as important as the Tanner Lee thing because, you know, it's you're giving up 62 points and 40 points, and how much did we give up to Tennessee? 37, 38 if you get routinely into giving up those numbers of points, you're probably going to be losing games uh, regardless of what your offense does. So um, it's pretty important that our defense make that dramatic change. But I will I will say the Tanner Lee thing, I just like the way it's asked. Tanner Lee equal to the hype because I think Lee could be a great player for us. I really do. I'm a little tired of the hype right now for him. I mean, I just in some ways I almost think it's counterproductive. Like, Let's just let the guy take his first snap. And, and you know what, fans? He's going to throw an interception at some point. He's going to fumble a ball. Some, something bad's going to happen, but that's okay. Doesn't mean that he, you know, we need to pull him. Doesn't mean any of that stuff. It's just, you know, he's going to be a good player for us. But but uh, let's, let him, let's let him play it down. And I think uh, along with that Tanner Lee hype, I think for him to actually live up to the hype, you're going to have to see a way better offensive line play than we've had recently. I mean, he may be a great quarterback, but again, yeah, if the offensive line true. doesn't hold up their end of the bargain, then we're still in a world of hurt. And that goes along with what Honky likes to talk about, being able to run the ball when you need to. We're going to need to be able to run the ball at some time. Are we going to be able to do that? And if we can't, well, eight well, wins this is a great con- so. yeah, This is a great conversation when, when we have Mac back on, on one of the next shows, you know, talking football. But, you know, that I, I, I sometimes I'm, – I'm, this is a, in fact, this is a future podcast discussion, but I, I think sometimes the O-line – gets unfairly beat up sometimes and, and and I'll just I'll use examples of like you know we've lost six of 11 games in the first two seasons of Riley and six of those games we threw it 40 or more times 
schematically, I think sometimes we've set ourselves up for failure against you know Tennessee, a team that gave up 400 plus rushing yards to to Vanderbilt and and Missouri, just major powerhouses. And we go out there and we try to throw the ball 40 plus times against them. We set our def- or I think we set up our offensive line sometimes schematically in bad situations. So I don't disagree with you, Mike. I mean, the the, the O line by all means get better, improve, but there's a lot of things that can improve. And I, I just wonder sometimes if they just get completely picked on because it's just easy to do. Well, I always wondered, do we set them up schematically like that because we're just completely oblivious to being able to run the ball, or do we well, just you know, against can't Tennessee run block? I don't know. I've there's, always wondered. Yeah, there's really two something? things that stick out in my mind against the Tennessee game. One of them is Azigbo, I think, having seven carries for 66 yards, like nine point something carry yards a carry. You know, we could run it right at him. And then I recall there was a fourth and one, and we went for it. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, you know, are we going to get it and you know and all that. And we line up, and this is the most basic, brutal football play you can have. It's just a, you know, against a goal line defense. It's just us against them. And I think we got four yards on it. We pushed that defensive line back four yards for the first down. Watch it, YouTube it. If if they, if you can YouTube one yard plays against Tennessee in a bowl game. But, um, but but the sure the point can. was that same horrible <laughs> offensive line that was just terrible. It was amazing in certain scenarios they did outstanding against Tennessee, and then. When you put our four-star left tackle from Vegas, who who is a high school All-American, when you put him one-on-one and don't chip block him with tight ends or running backs and, and you have your backup quarterback sitting in a pocket and you have your top two receivers injured in the game and you do that 40 times against a guy who just broke Reggie White's sack record, yeah, it's amazing how all of a sudden you can look really bad. So, you know, I'm just saying schematically, did we always set our guys up for, for the most success? I don't know. Um, doesn't mean I'm... Doesn't mean I'm I'm not yeah, yeah. I'm not you know rah rah and Kavanaugh here. I'm not saying there's been no problems on the O line. Yeah, the question is is if we couldn't set them up schematically for success last year, what's yep. going to be different it, this that's, year? That's that's completely fair. And and I think I, I you know I've been a, an Armstrong supporter for you know the last couple of years, and I think the person that w- wouldn't be would say, hey, we're going to have a QB that's going to be able to get rid of the ball on time in certain. You know, and, and, and there's open guys that we haven't been hitting the last couple of years. I mean, that's what that person's going to say, and I, I can't argue that. There are certainly times that, that Armstrong missed certain passes. I'm just saying that we kind of knew going into the season what Armstrong was good at and not good at, and it just didn't – it seemed like we kind of made a a two-year air with how we tried to, to run an offense with him as, as the QB. Yeah, it's yeah. going to be debatable for a long time, especially if uh, Riley's tenure here doesn't last very long because it, it could really cost him. And uh, yep. so we're, I guess we're going to find out. Trivia time. All right, let's wrap up the uh, Go Big Redcast with a little trivia. Boomer, what do you got for us? Okay, well, all the talk about rivalries and uh, in-state uh, matchups kind of got me thinking. And throughout the history of Nebraska, we have played in-state schools. Uh, surprise as that may be to some people, but we do have a quite a few different matchups with in-state programs, and Nebraska actually is undefeated against every one of them except for one team. We've lost a, a particular program twice throughout our history. Uh, mm. Any idea who that would be? That's a great well, question. Well, I mean, just we, as, we know it's early in the history. I mean, just as well. Go I mean, on. just to start going through who who even are the teams that we played back in the day i know we played doan well i think you can run through a lot of the small colleges i mean i think we played peru at some point um probably carney state state teachers college at some point well and, Omaha, and one of them definitely. too we played creighton um creighton did have football so they probably played creighton um obviously they they played even non uh college teams in the early early days they played lincoln high stuff like that the omaha ymca so let's ask a couple of clarifying questions. So it is a an actual college that they lost to. Yes, correct. I'll, I'll give you that much. So it's not Lincoln High and, or one of those. And does it's a college, no, it would, not a high school. Yeah, it's a college. Yeah. Okay. And uh, let's see if you give me this one too. Uh, does the college still exist? I'll give you that. Yes, it does. By the same name that it was when we played them. Surprisingly, yes. All right. Honky, you got a guess? I got one. I'm going to go with Creighton. 
I'm going to go with Peru State. Oh, actually, the, the correct answer is Doan. We were looking for Doan College. Oh, Doan! Nebraska, yeah, Nebraska is historically 16-2 and two versus the uh, Doan Tigers. So the last loss, I believe, was 1894. So it's been a while, but we, uh, we're undefeated against everyone else. Peru State, 3-0. and Creighton, some... is, Creighton were 3-0 as well. And I believe one game we played with Creighton, it ended up being like 140 to nothing or something like that. It's one of the largest margins of victory Nebraska had. So we do uh, – there aren't many J-Spurs yeah, there in that's football. that's too bad for them. <laughs> them both, so. I bet, yeah, bet Doan still – Still has that uh, those ones hanging up um, in their trophy case. Well, I would, I mean, wouldn't you? I mean, what else? Well, do I have you know, some of those Tommy Frazier years uh, coaching down, I that might have removed some of those trophies, but <laughs> that's too bad. That's when you guys were going to school there for your uh, man, that's too bad. Don't you know? Don's a program that uh, I could see us having a rivalry with a lot more than that team slightly to the east of uh, of Omaha, but <laughs> I don't know. Oh. Uh, all right, guys. Let's let's wrap this up. Uh, great show. Great talking to you guys. And uh, we'll be back next week, hopefully, with more uh, around the Van Horn. Uh, hopefully, good news coming from the Big Ten tournament and all things Husker. Let's go, boys! Bring home general. a title. Thanks for listening, folks. Bye.